Hello team and welcome to episode 417 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Brianna Gregory. Brianna is a compounding pharmacist and genomics consulting specializing in genomics guided wellness. We all know that our genes play a big role in determining who we are. But have you ever thought about what our genes tell us about the foods that would be better or worse for us to eat, or what this means when it comes to the medication and supplements that we take? It's time to open up that discussion, and that's exactly what Brianna and I do today. In this episode, you can expect to learn how our genes are impacting our weight loss efforts, why the conventional prescription of medication is simply not good enough and could be preventing you from really optimizing your health and getting better, along with where to start if you want to know the influence that your genes are having on you when it comes to your health and fitness. So without further ado, Brianna Gregory. Welcome to the show. How are you today? Thanks, Elliot. I appreciate it. I am doing awesome. I cannot wait to chat with you about some really cool stuff today. Thanks for having me. Likewise, the pleasure is truly mine. And for the listeners who may have not come across yourself before, can you give us a bit of context about who you are and what it is that you do? Absolutely. So I'm a pharmacist by training. I'm an athlete by background. So I have kind of a unique way that I ended up where I am today. And I'm very blessed to be able to be a pharmacist that works in the functional medicine and holistic side. So I get to help make people feel better, which is awesome. I don't have to give them medications that keep them sick, right? But I give them their energy back. And it's so awesome to be on this journey with people as they heal, as they learn more. And one of my main focuses is helping people with what I call genomics guided wellness. So it's using genomics or genetics testing to help people get really intentional about their lifestyle, about their health, so that we're not just throwing spaghetti at the wall when we make choices for our health. We get really, really intentional. So I work as a pharmacist full-time, a compounding pharmacist where we customize everything for our patients, but I also get to work one-on-one to help people personalize their wellness. And honestly, that's what I love to do. I just love to dig in with my patients. Yeah, I love that. And it sounds like you are very, very passionate about what you do as well. And usually that passion is sparked from a personal circumstance that didn't go so well once upon a time. I find that's the case with maybe 99.9% of individuals I talk to there triumph comes from their trauma essentially so was that the story for you as well yeah absolutely you're so right yeah when i was in my gosh i was in my early 20s i was just finishing up college and i took a trip to europe actually with one of my good friends who was from there so we were traveling all around to places you know where where they were from and we were we were eating great food we were following the lifestyle of the people that were living there and it was an awesome trip one of the best trips of my life, but I got so ill on that trip. Oh wow! And it wasn't like immediate. It wasn't food poisoning. It was over the course of a few weeks because we were there for a month. I started getting this really intense stomach pain and abdominal pain that just felt like I was being stabbed in the gut. It was so painful. I struggled with a lot of constipation when I was over there. That's no fun when you're traveling. <laughs> and fast forward, yeah, fast forward about a year or so, I came back to the States and I was still having a lot of this abdominal pain and I started to struggle with certain foods I was eating, not a picky eater, grew up eating everything, you know, so this was really abnormal for me. Ended up going to several different doctors 
who wanted to do different surgeries and give me different medications. And of course, I didn't want to, you know, be opened up at the, the young age of 23 or whatever that was, right? It's too young. No, totally. It's too young. And thank goodness that, you know, my parents asked more questions. And eventually, I ended up stumbling upon a functional medicine physician who said, okay, hold on, let's take a step back. Let's really do some testing and understand what's going on in your lungs and your gut. Turns out that I actually had an H. pylori infection, which was just a bacterial infection that I happened to pick up abroad. And it made me very, very sick because it started to strip the lining of my gut, making me not tolerate anything. I couldn't handle foods with gluten in them anymore. So, you know, fast forward now, 10, 15 years later, I know so much more about how the gut is related to the brain, is related to the hormones and all that good stuff. But you're exactly right. You know, I feel like I feel like God puts us in these situations intentionally, especially as a healthcare professional, so I can resonate with my patients. You know, I understand what they've been going through. No one wants to be bounced around from doctor to doctor to doctor, paying all this money and really getting no resolution. So I feel like I was funneled through the system as well which makes me want to help people not feel that way when they get medical care, medical attention and medical treatment. I want them to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you also probably know the difference in quality of life that you can give to people as well, right? It's no joke to be in that position for, I think you said well over a year. And like you said, not having that clarity, going to one doctor, getting one opinion, going to another doctor, having another opinion and really not having anything crystal clear on like, okay, well, this is the exact resolution. And I think that when we're unwell, the thing that we're looking for is to someone to say, even if there's something wrong with you, I just want clarity. I just want to know what's going to work and what's going to make me better. And when we don't have that, it almost makes the situation even worse than it actually is. So I love that path that you've been on ever since. And you mentioned that there's a background of being a professional athlete and a golfer as well. So how have you gone from golfer to pharmacist to <laughs> genomic <laughs> consultant and to all the things that you do today? What have those different steps in your career look like? It's a little bit uh, all over the place, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I never would tell you that, you know, I'm originally from California and I grew up golfing from the young age of probably nine is when I really started to get into it. My dad was an avid golfer and he loved it. And I was kind of a sidekick being when I was younger. And so if he did it, I wanted to do it, you know. And so I got into the golf camps or the competition and I started to take it seriously. So I played through college, played professionally after that, and I did a lot of traveling. And so keeping up with your health when you're traveling can be pretty difficult. Uh, you really have to be regimented, right? You really have to be intentional about what you're putting in your body, the way that you protect your body against, you know, the stress and the toxins that you experience and you ingest in different areas that are not native to yourself. So I learned a lot through that experience. And in about, let's see, it was 2013, uh, my dad actually passed away from prostate cancer. So, you know, it's not a oh, short, yeah, thank you. It's not a overnight thing, right? There is definitely a journey that comes along with that. And I learned so much going through that experience with him, uh, watching him. I mean, my mom was by his side the whole time and I was there as much as I could be, but I was still competing in golf at that time. So that's just hard. I mean, if you've ever played golf, you've ever competed in you know, the golf realm, it's highly competitive. It's an individual sport. You are playing against other people, but the majority of the game is played right here in between your ears, right? And so if you're not in an excellent mindset, if everything's not going well, 
internally, either in your mind or your health or even back home on the home front, which at that time my dad was going through cancer treatment, it's hard. So I decided it was just time to go home, be with him, be with my family. And I'm so glad that I did that. And I was so glad that I was there with him. But during his experience and treatment, of course, pharmacists are involved in that. And that's part of what I saw that pharmacists do. I didn't know any pharmacists growing up. I didn't take any medications. I never went to go pick up a prescription at the pharmacy. I didn't really know what they did in the standard practice. But what was interesting is what they did in the hospital and also in the process of hospice, which he was in hospice. So a big part of what those pharmacists do is they come in and they do what we call med rec or med reconciliation. And they're just looking at everything that you're on. Because typically by the time that someone reaches hospice, they are on a slew of medications. And it would not be uncommon for someone to be on a lot of medications that do the same thing or duplicate therapy. And we just don't want that to occur because typically people, they get to the point where they're so ill, they might not even be honestly dying from the disease that they were diagnosed with. They could be dying from liver failure because there's so much stuff that they're putting in their body. So many supplements, so many medications, you know, these toxic medications, especially if they're being treated for cancer, right? To try and control the cancer, but it gets very confusing for these people. And so what I thought was interesting about the pharmacist that came through for him is, you know, he pulled off a lot of those duplicate medications. And I think that in the past years, and I think that this mindset is changing, which is good, but in the past years, it's the perception that pharmacists are quote unquote drug pushers because we're the ones that dispense the medication. We hand it to you. We tell you how to use it. And sometimes we look like we're trying to over-medicate. But honestly, one of the really important duties of a pharmacist, a good pharmacist, is to pull medications off or pull supplements off. And not just to remove things from the regiment, but to be sure that it's intentional. Do we have duplications? Do you still need this? Or were you prescribed a year and a half ago and you don't really need it? If, if the patient doesn't know why they are taking it in the first place, they can't stand up to their doctor and say, hey, I don't think I have those symptoms anymore. I might not need this, right? So we see a lot of people in this situation, but that really intrigued me. And in the cancer space, the oncology space, a lot of times these patients will need medications that are customized for them, which is essentially where compounding pharmacists come in. We customize medications for patients that are tailored to their dose for their needs with the right route of administration, you know, do we need to put it on the skin? Do we need to swallow it in an oral capsule? Do we need to put it in a patch, right? We have a lot of different options of the ways that we can get medications in, and we need to always be paying attention to the personal requirements of the patient. So here I am today trying to, you know, help other people's dads feel better, not just dads, but moms, sisters, brothers, because that is who my patients are to their family, right? Everyone is a family member to somebody. Yeah, absolutely. And when you put it into those words as well, it becomes even more real with the people that you're helping. I feel the same with my clients as well. It's like they are someone's daughter, son, brother, sister, and someone's child as well. And I think that when you look at it from that perspective, like how would I want someone to treat my mom, my sister, my brother? It's a completely different perspective in which you look at it from and you're like, ah, okay, well, this is why I want to get this right. However, there are many other people in this world who maybe don't look at it from the same perspective. And I'm curious about the difference between the type of pharmacist that you are 
compared to maybe a more conventional, unintentional pharmacist. Can you give us the difference between the two? Yeah. So when we think of a what we refer to usually as a retail pharmacist, that's when you're going into a big box chain store. You know, it's maybe CVS or Costco or Rite Aid or, you know, depends on where you live, right? But those are the ones that we've got here that are going to fill your mainstream medications or what we call commercially available drugs. Those are the ones that are manufactured, right? In the bottles by the company, sent to the pharmacies. And then the pharmacy gets the prescription from the doctor and they say, okay, your doctor's written it for 30 tablets. Here you go. They just, they pour it out. I mean, there's a lot more that pharmacists do than just pour it out, but you know, to, to give it to the patient, it comes pre-made, they give it in the dose that's prescribed. So that's pretty standard with commercially available medications. But with commercially available medications, a lot of times people, well, for one, we don't all fit in one little box, right? We're not all the same. So we, we deserve customized doses. But aside from that, oftentimes a lot of my patients will have sensitivities to the dyes or like the colors, Mm. the binders, the fillers, and the inactive ingredients that are in those medications that are actually a lot more bothersome to them than the active ingredient. So it's not uncommon for someone to say, oh, I'm allergic to XYZ medication, and they really might not be. But what happened is they reacted to the inactive ingredients in that medication, makes them think that they can't tolerate it. So in compounding, this is the old apothecary idea where Back in the day, there were not manufacturers. When you had a prescription, you know, you or a pharmacist just made something up. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Or you go and there's someone mixing up stuff, you know, in this little mortar and pestle behind the counter. That's how it very first started. But we had to make up individualized doses for the patient. And that's what we do today. But of course, we have much different regulations and processes and testing that we follow to be sure that patients that are taking something like a hormone, for example, that has to be really consistent month to month to month that they're actually getting that, but they get a pure product, a product that is not tainted. There's not other inactive ingredients in there that they don't need. They're really only getting what they need and that's it. So it's an extremely clean way to ingest medicine, which is awesome. Yeah. And I heard recently, I don't know if it was on a podcast that I was interviewing or if it was just one I was listening to, but the reason that I understood why there are general prescriptions on things like paracetamol, ibuprofen, and you're only supposed to take X amount of milligrams per X amount of hours is because it's an average, because of there isn't enough intelligence that you can't have an individualized doctor or pharmacist to give you the exact dose. So we just put this average, which will suit just about almost everyone. I'm generally just due to the fact that we don't have as many people trained at doctor's level or trained at a pharmacist level. That's why we have to kind of go with those general uh, prescriptions, right? So that made sense to me. And obviously, as the world is developing, and hopefully, you know, maybe even AI is going to get smarter than your doctor at some point, (laughs) who knows what's going to happen, there might be more individualization between those. And coming back to the point of, you know, commercially given uh, prescriptions and things like that, is the main reason why that's not ideal is because mainly it's businesses working behind this rather than people who are prioritizing you getting better. Yeah, yeah, I do. And gosh, there's so much conversation around that. But it's really hard to not, you know, look at the trail of money backwards and see where it leads to for one. Two, if we look at rates of obesity, for example, over the past mm, 30-ish years, you know, it's getting a lot worse. 
And especially in, in America, we have a big issue with this because in my opinion, the, the food pyramid is essentially flipped on its head, right? And so the information that we're putting into our, the, you know, society or our patients' minds is, you know, eat the carbs, eat the carbs first when you sit down at a meal, be sure that you're taking in all the dairy and all the grains. And some of those things are important, but are you eating the right ones, right? And in which quantity? Because with all the information, with all the knowledge that we have, we should not be getting fatter. Mm-hmm. We should not, so you know, yeah. and it's so sad to see that. And I don't believe people want to be that way. I think it's hard because either people are not informed or they don't know where to find that information. You know, at the, it's at the end of the day that they get to choose if they want to be actionable about their health. That's a choice we wake up and we make every single day. And if they don't know where to find the information, it gets very confusing. But I absolutely agree. You know, the other thing is streamlining. So when the technology changed to the point where companies could start manufacturing medication, they could sell more of it, right? So we thought, okay, just like you said, well, let's find an average. Let's do studies and see what generally works for people. And let's make this medication in five different doses and expect it to cover the whole population. No. We're not one size fits all. We all have very unique requirements, which is why that just doesn't work. There are some medications that we call neurotherapeutic. For example, thyroid is one that I'm thinking of right now that we have to be very, very particular about the dose that we give someone because just a little bit makes a big difference. So when you look at commercially available products where there's just a few different doses available, that's not not gonna cover the whole population. It's so individualized to the patient and just a little bit of that dose goes a long way and can make a big difference. So that is one example of where compounding pharmacists can come in and make an individualized dose for the patient that is going to be consistent for them month over month and that they'll actually feel better to support their metabolism, their energy, their immune system, et cetera. When you say it, it sounds so simple. If someone says to you, hey, Elliot, I mean, maybe I'm not the best example because I wear black a lot. Like you can only wear one size of clothing because that's the size that ever fits everyone. You can only have one style, one color, and that's it. You have, there's nothing outside of that. People are like, you must be crazy. But when it comes to something as important as our health, we seem to take those prescriptions as, ah, okay, well, if it works for everyone else, it works for me. Yet when we come to something as basic as clothing sizes and everything like that, we can see the discrepancy and the, how bizarre that actually sounds as well. So yeah, it's, it's crazy to me that that is what is commonly accepted. And I don't know if that comes from, you know, a bit of white coat syndrome and people saying, well, you know, the expert said it. So then I'm just kind of have to comply and I want to get better, etc. But yeah, it's bizarre to me because it's the same in nutrition and in the world I do as well. It's like, I can't give a one size fits all nutrition plan to one of my clients. You know, there might be some similarities, you know, that might be based on pure fundamentals, but when it comes to the amounts, the different types of food, it all has to be different. Otherwise, you're gonna end up with a completely different result. One diet might be amazing for one person, but it might be the worst thing that someone's ever experienced on the other side. It's so true. And I think there's a lot of confusion around dietary choices. You can find it on TikTok, you can find it on Instagram, you can find it on the television. It's, you know, what about my my girlfriend who had this fad diet that worked for her, so it must work for you. No, 
it's all going to be individualized, just like your clothing choices. Like you said, that's like a perfect illustration because it's a choice we wake up and we make every day. What am I going to wear? You know, something that fits me, something that makes me feel good, something I think I look good in. But what about your own skin? What about your own body? How do you feel in that? Right. Just one other thing I was thinking about when you were when you were saying that is that sometimes it can be so difficult for us to actually know what makes us feel good and what makes us feel bad. Because we, we live in such a toxic environment, you know, just physical, environmental toxins. Our body is inundated and being overstimulated all the time. So if we make a good dietary choice one day, that's not going to reverse all the bad choices we made. And sometimes we can't even tell if that quote-unquote healthy meal makes us feel good because our body's just trying to keep us alive. It's trying to avoid off the toxins. It's trying to just help us stay alive and survive. So I think that's why when we, you know, we approach our clients, we approach our patients, like you said, it has to be personalized. We have to be sure that we're helping them detox off first before that their body is prepped to heal, to gain muscle, to lose weight, right? All of these things. It's so important, the order that we do it in too. Yeah, that's what I love about when someone comes on board and they have a nutritionally sound plan for the first time and they're like whoa you know they introduce this food that they haven't had for a little while and they're like oh, this doesn't sit right with me anymore or i feel really bloated then like well i've been eating this in my entire life why is it only just happening since i started this diet i was like well you just didn't recognize before your body became so accustomed to being bloated and you know it's that lower back pain that everyone has is like oh it's just normal you know i just take a few ibuprofen now and again but it's the fact that they don't realize that there's a life without it so i think opening people up to the possibility of what they could be is amazing so coming back to the stuff that you do you mentioned that majority of us we find ourselves sick because our bodies are out of balance or we're deficient in something why are we in that position in the first place i think that's a good starting foundation well i do think that the toxins is a, is a big part of that we are around a lot of pollution most of us are whether we're in a large city or not you know or most of us are driving around in a car uh, the majority of foods that we eat are packaged or processed or fortified in some way, shape, or form. And we're busy. So we reach for convenience whenever we can. And even if we're health conscious, we still make decisions that might not support the health of our body as best as we can. Also, water. Water tends to be quite contaminated. Even if it's filtered, it doesn't really hold a lot of its energetic properties well. Or we're filtering out the things that we need. Um, a lot of us drink from fluoridated water, which was introduced way back when to help control cavities, but it actually impacts the health of the thyroid. So when I think about this trend, upward trend of obesity, what are all the things that are impacting that? Well, the one gland that is probably most directly important for that is the thyroid gland because it helps to keep us healthy, but also to support our physical metabolism too. So I think that our bodies are getting attacked from several different areas, but I do think that one of the main offenders is toxicity in one way, shape or form. Is that a heavy metal? Maybe, you know, what are we putting in our body? But this can all be really daunting for people. So I think that the, the easiest place to start is what are you putting in your mouth? Is it, is it the food? Is it the supplementation? Is it the medication? What is it? Because whatever you're ingesting has a direct effect or potential direct threat on your entire system. 
So that's usually where we start is we just kind of look at what's going in and start there. Because usually the issue, the root cause of what's going on is not complex. It's right in front of our face. So let's start there. That's what I help people do is I kind of give them that third party view of, hey, this is what you're eating. This is what you're ingesting. You might not even realize it's not healthy for you or you're reacting to it. So let's remove that, see how you respond and then move forward so that we can continue to get the toxins out of your body so your body can focus on building muscle, making more mitochondria, producing more energy, helping you maintain weight rather than being so worried about trying to keep you safe from the toxins that are going in. Yeah, let's start with that nutrition piece. And I like that there is an encouraging look at this and more of an optimistic outlook versus the a negative one. But I want to go through exactly where we can get started with the nutritional side of things because of not only is nutrition something that people think of as fuel, people have a big emotional attachment to food. They have habits that have been built over a lifetime. They go for, like you said, accessibility, convenience. And I think that as beautiful and as blessed as we are in terms of having all the information, it's almost contradicted by the accessibility and you know the chemical concoctions that we sometimes call food, right? So there's just as much of that for as much information as there is. So it's like, the kind of conflicting interest. So where can we get started when we are someone who's maybe overweight, we are kind of find ourselves semi addicted to food or the patterns that we're in with our food, maybe we rely on emotional eating, and we want to get healthy. But with every attempt that we make, we feel like we're taking one step forward, but being dragged back into what has become so normal to us. That's a really good question. There's there's two things that I think about there. Of course, I focus on genetic testing. So that's top of mind for me. But the reason why I focus on that, especially to help people lose weight is that your DNA never changes. It's your baseline. It's your forever baseline. So it was there with you when you were a baby. It's going to be there with you when you die. And it's a constant. So let's start there. Your DNA tells us so much about the way that you receive certain types of foods, certain categories of foods, but it's deeper than that. It's if you eat a certain type of food, what does your DNA say about the way that you you respond to inflammation or the way that you detox? Because if your body is seeing that food as an offender rather than something that is going to help you, to nourish you and to energize you, then it will not respond well. So when we look at the genomic baseline of what your body can tolerate, we can make really informed decisions about foods that will work best for you. But then there's also this component where people say, I can't fast or I can't cut this food out or, you know, fill in the blank, right? I don't want those people to feel like they're not being heard because I know you hear them. I hear them because a lot of us have been there where your brain is your, essentially your brain is playing tricks on you and it makes it very, very difficult to heal that way. So I want you to know that you're being heard and there are things that we can do to help retrain the brain to accept what's going on in the body better. And what I mean by that, a really common one is the roller coaster of blood sugar fluctuation. So when someone tells me I can't cut out the sodas or I can't cut out the cake, Yes, you can. Your body, your mind is telling you right now that you can't. But the reason why is it's responding to something that's physiologically happening in your body where it's telling you, I need more sugar. I need more sugar. I need more sugar. So if we start by simply balancing the blood sugar, we can do that with supplements, for example. We don't need medications to do that necessarily. Then we take the pressure off the body to respond to this fluctuation in blood sugar 
And now we've cut out one of these major barriers. And you know, maybe you don't cut out the four Cokes you're drinking a day. Maybe you cut out one of them to start, but we gotta start somewhere. It's so important to find at least one thing that we can gain traction on and to capitalize on that because weight loss and weight maintenance is a journey, right? You see this with your clients. And every day, again, we wake up and we make these decisions to stay well. So we also have to celebrate the wins and the accomplishments. And it's a stepwise journey. So I think it's kind of twofold. You know, we look at our baseline of DNA and then we also look at how we can protect our body and our mind to work for us rather than against us. Our body doesn't want to work against us. It wants to help us stay alive. We just have to support that and be informed about how we can do that. Yeah, I really like that approach that you mentioned there in the sense of supporting this transition that you're trying to make. So it's not just a case of saying, okay, cut out all of the cokes from your day. It kind of the vision that came to my mind in an analogy term is like having a kid who maybe wants to drink like four Cokes per day, let's say. Sorry for Coca-Cola and their advertising, but let's, <laughs> let's say that he wants to drink that or she wants to drink that and they're a kid. And a good idea might not be saying, okay, you're not allowed to have this anymore. It might be saying, okay, well, during the time that he's usually or she is usually craving one, we're going to go out and go play a game or something along those lines. And that might be the introduction of the supplement that's going to help with your blood sugar. And that might be the way to kind of take the pressure off what them wanting that and having to do all these distracting and all these other techniques and relying on willpower and mindset versus actually just putting in a different practice in place that, like you said, supports that. It's not eliminating the behavior in one hit, but once you go down to three, you can eventually go down to two. And once you go down to two, you're probably going to go down to one and you're going to have far less of those fluctuations. So it's probably going to be easier as well. So I really like that analogy. And a question that also came to my mind is that genomic testing is not a household term just yet. So for anyone who's listening today, can you define exactly what that is and what it looks like? Absolutely. So I think when people usually think about that, they think of DNA testing or genetic testing in regards to testing for ancestry, which is not what I do. There definitely are tests out there that you can find out what your lineage is, but that's something totally different. So for example, the type of testing that I do is I drop ship a kit to the patient's home and they get to swab the inside of each cheek in the privacy of their own home and send it back to the lab. So when I meet with a patient for the first time, they're coming to me with a certain set of either expectations or desires of changes that they want to make in their health. Typically, the main one is weight loss. Maybe it's an autoimmune disease or depression or anxiety. These are all really common ones. And I say, okay, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at your genomics. We're going to look at how that's impacting your body, your inflammation, your detox, etc., and see what changes we can make. Now, the DNA tells us a lot of information about our baseline and the way that we are and the way that we react to the environment. Right. So I can choose certain panels for my patients based on what their concerns are. And when I get those results back, it's amazing the information that it tells me about why the person's body is responding to foods, supplements, medications, environmental triggers the way that it is. And it is so cool, Elliot, to see these people's light bulb go off. They're like, oh my yeah. gosh, I now I understand why I feel that way. I felt crazy before. You know, it's so hard for me to lose weight. But now I can see by my hormones that affect weight loss that they're kind of working against me. But the good news is we have actionable steps where we can say, how do we support that part 
of your DNA and your genome, again, to work for you rather than against you. So I always like to, to be sure people understand this is one, I'm not testing ancestry. And two, we only have to do this test once, which is so cool. So we have different panels that we can run, but we just take one swab. We just take one sample because it doesn't change. So unlike a laboratory test where you're measuring actual levels of hormones, for example, maybe every six months, every year, this is a one-time thing where we take an evaluation of what your forever baseline is in your DNA, what that information tells us so that we can optimize the lifestyle choices you make, the foods you eat, the supplements you use, the medications that you may or may not respond to. Because what is so interesting to me and still blows my mind is that we're all about 99.9% genetically the same. And it's literally that 0.1%, 0.1-ish percent that makes us look different talk different, act different, you know, have different cravings, respond differently to food, be able to break down certain types of foods or supplements or not. So when we get really intentional on that 0.1%, again, we're no longer throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. We're getting really intentional about what works for you because what works for you is going to be different than what works for the next person. And I think that that is where the value comes in is, again, your DNA never changes, but we can make really informed decisions, saving time, saving money, but honestly, most importantly, saving frustration. Absolutely. And I think that what I've learned to realize as well, and a lot of people when they come to me is they are just fed up and they just want something to work. They're like, I don't want to go on another 10 different diets and weight loss journeys i just want this to be the be all and end all so even i think that it helps with the approach and the type of conversations i have with people like yourself brianna is that people come to me when they want coaching or they'll come to someone like you and they're not looking for that quick fix anymore they're looking for the thing that genuinely is going to work and is genuinely going to move them in the right direction for good you know and i think that's an awesome switch and i think having the options available is you know the most empowering thing for those type of people as well so when you get a panel back from someone first you can let me know in this in just a second but how a how long does that take but also b what type of things are usually coming up is it saying okay that this thyroid function is not in the direction we want it to be this person's you know testosterone levels or estrogen levels are out of whack and this is to tell me that they need this type of supplement or this part of their diet is impacting them what type of things are you being told by that and also on the note of how long it takes that'll be good to know as well right it usually takes a couple of weeks for the turnaround of the results. So when the, the kit gets drop shipped to the patient and then they swab, as long as they swab right when they get it uh, to facilitate that process and send it back to the lab, the whole process is about two weeks. So it's very fast. I get the results from the laboratory and then I make my evaluation. And what I'm evaluating based on the panels I'm getting is my follow-up with that patient, they're getting recommendations for lifestyle changes dietary changes, supplement recommendations, medication recommendations, and labs. So that would be like blood labs, for example, to measure their actual levels routinely. So they're getting all of those recommendations from me based on my evaluation from the reports that we run. Usually what I'm looking at is how the genes affect the way that our body responds to inflammation. So environmental triggers, food triggers. And so I get information on several different genes, which are part of each panel. And then the SNPs, the SNP is a single nucleotide polymorphism, which is a change. It's a variant in the DNA from what we would expect to see. It doesn't mean it's bad. 
It doesn't mean it's good. It just means it's different. And so when it's different, we need to look at the way that it impacts, say, how we detox, right? Or the way that we produce energy. How are our mitochondria functioning? Are they working to produce maximum energy or are they more likely to get log jammed and not allow us to be energetic as much as we possibly can? A big one too is methylation. And the MTHFR gene is one that is is gaining more notoriety, I guess. And that specifically talks about how our body processes B vitamins. So it talks about how it breaks down, you know, folate, if that's from food or from supplements or whatnot. But the reason this is important is it impacts about 70% of the population. That's globally. So the majority of people globally have an issue breaking down one of our core vitamins, vitamin B, which is exceptional for not only creating and supporting DNA function, giving us energy, helping the body transport oxygen around the body, helping to support the mitochondria. And that's just a short list of what's going on. But I think most people feel kind of this, this fatigue when they don't get the right type of B vitamins. That's how people outwardly feel it the most. So if I can see whether or not someone needs a methylated form, and I'll explain that in a second, then we can pick the right type of vitamin for them. Because it's pretty easy for someone to walk in the store and go, well, my doctor said I need a B complex, so that one looks good. Well, if it's not fitting your DNA and you're not able to break it down, then it's not good. So what it means for it to be methylated is it's pre-broken down. So if you eat something like a food, let's say a leafy green vegetable or something like that, that has folate in it, or a type of vitamin B, we should be able to break it down into a form that the body can use and support other actions in the body. But if we do, if we have a break in that gene or a variation, then we're not going to absorb the nutrients from it. So we just kind of pee it out. So we need to have a form that is pre-methylated or pre-broken down for us so our body can absorb it. But on the opposite end of that spectrum is if we do have a genetic variation there at the MTHFR gene, if we take in excessive amounts of folate, it can actually be very toxic. And that might sound a bit counterintuitive that a vitamin could be toxic, but let's be honest, it doesn't really matter what it is. If your body can't tolerate it or process it, it thinks that it's toxic. So it's going to try and mount a response to it. I was talking to a lady yesterday whose daughter has tics. She's got ADHD. She's got autism. She was having tics. And she found out that one of her favorite snacks was cereal, a sportified cereal that is usually packed full of folate, you know, that they fortified. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And so one day it dawned on her and she said, you know what? I think that that might be contributing. Again, it's usually right in front of our face took her off of these fortified cereals, ticks went away. No more issues with that. Because her her body, her little body, couldn't break down that folate. So it was toxic to her. And it puts the central nervous system in the brain on overload. So that's generally what I'm looking at is methylation, immune status, inflammation. I definitely can look at health risks as well. I've got male and female panels that is going to address more of how we detoxify the metabolites of certain hormones that we make because that's really important too. The body always has to be in balance. Even our own hormones create metabolites that we need to void out of the body. But I think that one test that I usually run on most of my patients, because this is what they want, is they want to be able to lose weight. And so when I'm looking at their DNA profile, it's going to tell me over 550 different foods and beverages. I'm going to look at how their body is likely to respond. So I can help develop a plan for them so that they're eating the right types of foods, 
doing the right type of activity that is going to support weight loss for them because we're optimizing the way that their hormones that actually dictate their weight loss respond. So leptin, adiponectin, you know, insulin, these things that are really important about the way that we lose weight and we maintain a healthy weight. And so that is huge for people because I find so many people, and I know you hear this too, because this is your world. People are killing themselves in the gym, but their weight isn't budging okay, well, maybe the type of activity isn't right for their body, right? We have to support what's right for them. And that's what nutrigenomics is. It's a big word, but essentially it tells us the way that our genes or our DNA or our genomic information impacts the way that we metabolize and utilize nutrients, nutrigenomics. Do you ever think it's going to be a world where all of us, maybe I know at the age of five years old are going to have this type of test done. So we've got this information. Maybe it's delivered to parents. I know it's probably way too individualized right now to be spread worldwide or even just you know in the western world for example but do you think there's ever a way in which we could do that like for example you test a child you get their individual results and then a parent knows how to feed their child they know how to feed themselves first and foremost is probably one of the most important things but then they know how to foster them in the right type of environment with foods with supplements with lifestyle interventions do you ever think that's going to be a possibility because of you know as we said earlier it's like unfortunately the obesity rate is rising and i have so many of these amazing conversations and i meet so many great individuals in my coaching program who are ready to change their lives but actually when you look beyond your bubble it's actually getting worse unfortunately so do you see that ever happening i sure do uh to be honest i think we're quite a ways out from it and i wish we weren't so far but we've known about the full sequence human genome for quite some time now and yet this is not a standard type of testing. But remember, there was a time when taking a CBC or a, you know, a normal standard lab test was not so standard. It was yes, not so normal. So there's still ways for us to incorporate this. And what it what is interesting is that people have kind of wondered how their DNA impacts their health, but they don't really know where to find this information. So most people I talk with say, I've never heard about this before. You know, why have I not heard about it? Well, your insurance doesn't want to cover it. One, because guess what? It's going to make you feel better and you're going to need less medications and supplements probably after you do it because you're learning more about how your body actually functions. So there's reasons why we don't hear about these type of testings or modalities that help and are beneficial. But that's a big part of my goal is to open up the conversation around genomics testing, about how our genes affect our nutrition. But most importantly, back to your question about will we, will we incorporate it as a standard? Yes, I hope so. And I hope that that happens when children are are born because where we can really, really intervene on saving a lot of money and a lot of times lives actually is on the pharmacogenomic testing side. And what that is, is how your, how your genes affect the way you metabolize medications. So if you have a, a kiddo that from a young age is, you know, showing signs where they need to be on certain medications, or maybe they have ADD, ADHD, maybe they have cancer, you know, young kiddos, if we do this testing on them, we can have better information about how their body will respond actually to specific medications. Because where that becomes important is especially in the hospital. If you find yourself in a pinch situation where the doctor has to give a medication to rescue that life, you hope it works. But what if the body doesn't respond to that? 
you know, what if the kiddo doesn't respond to that? It can actually be toxic. We see that a lot with opioid medications, cardiovascular medications. And so they're kind of just choosing the medication that might apply to most people. But if we had that testing as babies or as young kids, we could save a lot of lives too. That's amazing. That's definitely something for parents and future parents to think about maybe even before their child arrives. I think there's so many of us who are preparing to have children, so many of us who have children are reading through these parenting books, finding the right way to raise our children, discovering like what type of soap I should use or what protein supplement I shouldn't use. And then there should be something like this at the very foundation of it, which might actually give us more of the answers than we expected. So I really like that you're opening up people's minds to that possibility as well. And I want to come back to the weight loss things. I know that a lot of people will find this interesting. And I don't love this from a mindset perspective, because I think it's kind of self-defeating. But would you say that it is technically harder from a very, very fundamental DNA level for some people to lose weight than others? Yes. I do, but I will say that out of all the, the patients that I've evaluated, there are some trends that we tend to see and some common vitamin deficiencies that we tend to see, some hormone dysregulation that we see. So we have better information of where we can focus. And you know, whenever I review these results with my patients, I, I want them to feel encouraged, not discouraged. And usually they walk out, well, I think they always walk out feeling more encouraged because they have answers. Like you said at the beginning of this podcast, people just want to know why, honestly. You know, that's why they say, give me a diagnosis, give me a medication, just give me something, please, that is going to help me or help me understand what's going on. So yes, that's the whole point of the DNA testing is how do you differ from the next person and how do we customize your plan for you. But yes, we find that for some people, it's very obvious when I'm looking at their results that their hormones in particular that dictate how they lose weight, the rate at which they lose weight, how they respond to certain types of activity or certain types of food or certain types of macros is very different from the next person. It usually shocks people when they realize that they're consuming too much protein. That's a big one. I have a lot of patients where I've seen results on their suggested macronutrient distribution where they have a nutritionist and a trainer and a doctor that are all working with them to help them, you know, lose weight and be fit, right? It's all with good intentions. And I think all these people in those fields know what they're doing, but if it's not personalized to the individual, it can actually cause more problems. So you can meal prep all you want. You can work out as hard as you want in the gym, but if that's not what allows your body to recover, to make more mitochondria, to make more energy, to facilitate your metabolism, then you're really not doing your body a good service. So, and I had a patient I worked with recently who said that they were working on a very uh, strict dietary and workout regimen for a year and had only budged 3% body fat. And they were eating a very high protein diet because that was what was being advised to them. And within the first week of us making changes, they lost three pounds in the first week. So, you know, the, the way that we can shift the needle doesn't have to be with monumental changes. We can make small changes. But again, they're informed decisions, which helps us get really intentional about the choices we're making about what we put in our body, the type of activity that we do. And my goal really is to, again, open up the conversation around genomics, but have that conversation be accepted between patients and doctors and coaches and trainers and nutritionists, right? So that we're all working together for the patient. So the patient feels like they get this seamless level of care. That's it. And at the end of the 
day, if you are a coach with good ethics or even I'm going to say a human with good ethics, like your goal for your client is for them to basically get what they come come for, right? I always think about it from my business model is that I don't want to keep a client forever. I want them to be in and out of the door in the quickest time frame possible, as long as it's done in a safe and effective way and they can sustain their results. Because my understanding is that when that happens for people and they come, their expectations are met and maybe even we over deliver, they go and refer three of their friends, which is a far more effective business model than keeping the same unhappy person in your business for years on end as well. So yeah, I think that we have to look at it from that perspective is like, you've got to get down to what provides this person with the best possible results. And I think, you know, coming back to what we said earlier of like, there's not a lot of money in healthy people and there's more money in sick people. Like, causes another problem in itself but that's another conversation for another day i think that that's what it has to come down to fundamentally it's like okay we need to come from a human to human level and be like okay well if we're in a position where we can help people or even if we're not we, we need to die, guide them in the right direction open their minds to something a little bit different and also if we are coaches or professionals or something along those lines we need to make sure that we're looking at this person from an individualized perspective and make sure that they're doing the right things that are going to get them the right results not because it worked with x y or z person and i think that maybe fundamentally that's what it comes down to absolutely yeah, I completely agree with you. I love that that human to human. I mean, we are one human speaking to another human. We are one human helping another human, supporting another human. And like you said, you know, a lot of us have been there. We've been in this this space where we feel really terrible and we felt bounced around from doctor to doctor. And I don't want anyone to feel like that because I see the deflation in the patient's eyes. I see the lack of trust. And, you know, I spent a lot of time getting trained as a medical professional and I want people to trust me and I want people to not have trust in the medical system. And I think that that's where we are right now. And I think that when you, you know, you sit down you take the time with the patients and you say, Hey, I've been there. Like I'm not in your exact shoes, but I've been there. And I don't want you to feel like that for the rest of your life. I'm here to support you on every step of your journey. And I want you to reach your healthcare goals because that's going to look so much different from the next person's healthcare goals. It's so different. We all have these things that motivate us that these intrinsic motivators that are going to be different from person to person. And like you said, we can't be with our clients, or our patients every single day. So the idea is to inform them and to encourage them enough to them, get right? them to the spot and empower them where when they go home, they are informed enough to make their own decisions about their own wellness. Yeah, I love that. And the relatability aspect is big as well. I don't think I've ever met a single doctor in my entire life and feel like, ah, this guy gets me or this woman, <laughs> I completely relate with where they're at. You know, they're usually just like, more focused on their computer, you know, looking down beyond their glasses than they are, you know, even kind of paying attention to you. So I think that's a big thing as well. And something that comes to my mind, another big, big aspect that people are challenged with outside of weight loss is mental health as well. How does mental health tie into this? Well, the gut is the second brain, as we call it. And so to protect the brain and protect our mental capacity and mental responses, mental clarity, we really have to nourish the gut. And that goes so far beyond just what we put in it as far as food goes, but also the way that we protect our hormone balance and the probiotics that we choose or are probiotics not best for us based on our DNA because the DNA test will tell us that too. But really focusing on the gut is number one. The gut is so important for detoxification, for conversion of hormones from their inactive to their active usable form. And also we make roughly 80%, if not a little bit more of our serotonin right in our gut. So we make it in the gut, right? And then it travels 
levels to the brain and depending on how well our brain tissue and synapses and neurotransmitters and all that good stuff that happens up top functions, it will tell us how long we can keep access to the serotonin and the dopamine in our brain. And so when we don't have enough of it, either something's not working up top for us, you know, we're not making the connections we need to be, but most importantly, it's usually starting right in the gut. So if we can focus on the root cause, then we'll make actionable changes that last a long time rather than using a Band-Aid, you know, buy a medication saying, okay, well, there's going to be a pill for every ill, you know, you symptom, drug, symptom, drug. No, let's address the root cause. So I always focus on gut health and healing with my patients first. Most people deal with some kind of, you know, bloating in addition to the weight gain. It's not all related to food. And that tells us a lot. The way that someone physically presents to us tells us a lot about what's going on in their body and where they're holding on to toxins and where those toxins are getting jammed up. So then we can focus on facilitating that and getting them out. Can you go even deeper on me for with gut health? I think a lot of people are hearing it. It's not the first time they've heard it, but every time they hear it, they kind of maybe backtrack because they don't get it. They don't understand that like the gut is just like, I think of it as my stomach. It's not really the way I refer to it, but I don't actually understand what you're talking about when you say gut health. So can you just break it down into like super, super simple terms for anyone who's thinking, okay, I've heard this come up like four or five times now. I still don't get it. I know I need to do something about it, but please will someone kind of simplify it for me. Absolutely. So we've got all these different systems in our body. They all function together, which is why we call it functional medicine. But the digestion process starts just as soon as we place something on the tongue. The enzymes that break it down start to prepare it for absorption throughout the rest of the body. Then we swallow those foods. For example, it goes through the actual stomach, which is really very tiny. And it's above the gut, you know, it goes through the small intestine, large intestine. But the large intestine is the, you know, it's the big wiggly one on all the pictures. And actually that that's where uh, the majority of absorption of medications, supplements, and foods occurs. So if you think about the gut as being like a pipe or a tube, it's hollow, but on the inside, just on the inside lining of that hollow tube are lots of little types of mucus and these what we call gap junctions, but really it's the skin cells that sit there that are responsible for a lot of the nutrient absorption. Now, when that breaks down, we get sick. When we get sick, we don't have good mental health. One of the issues that a lot of people deal with in you know the world, wherever you're living, is again, where we have eye exposure to toxins, but that gut lining that is so fragile is very easily disrupted by environmental toxins, by stress. Stress is a huge one. Why? Because it causes inflammation and inflammation is the beginning of a downward snowball effect for so many people. So to simplify it, if we can decrease the inflammatory burden on our body and the stress on our body, our gut will stay intact better, which means that we absorb the nutrients that we're supposed to and we keep the toxins out. I love that explanation. And it really 
again, it was very visual for me at that moment. And I know exactly what happens to me if I experience like a ton of stress. Like my nutrition is fairly consistent. I kind of know what works for my body and what doesn't at this stage. And I'll know that a meal will feel, feel absolutely perfect. You know, that I will digest it perfectly. I'll feel great. I won't feel bloated whatsoever. But if I experience stress and I eat that same meal, like a whole world of digestive issues wake, like, wake up within me. And it's because I've got all that awareness that I know this isn't, like this is a single moment. Like every day I have, you know, this similar type of dinner. I know these foods digest well. And then all of a sudden this one different thing was thrown in. I'm like, wow, that's really impactful because this these foods should not be impacting me in this way. So there's only one other answer here and it's exactly that. And I think that, you know, if you combine that with, you know, let's say you have gluten sensitivities since you know you're stressed and then you go and eat an enormous pizza because you're emotional eating it's like inflammation on inflammation and problem on problem on problem right mm -hmm. yeah and like you said that there's a huge emotional component to eating which i get you know i've been there too and gluten is just something that should go away okay for starters um don't don't deprive yourself you know i'm not saying you need to cut out every single source of gluten but we when we talk about gluten we're generally talking about any food that when it's baked rises so we're thinking about our our breads our pastas our pastries but the not so obvious ones, because gluten is a thickener. It's, it's oftentimes used as a thickener or a filler in different types of foods. So the not so recognized ones are the soy sauces and the barbecue sauces and the salad dressings and the condiments where gluten is thrown in there to thicken it up. And so you think, well, I mean, I'm just eating a salad, so I don't understand. I, there's no way I can be eating gluten. Check your salad dressing. Chances are that there can be some wheat in your salad dressing. Wheat does not need to be in salad dressing, okay? <laughs> so it's a huge inflammatory burden. If we can really reduce the different inflammatory threats on our body, I mean, that can go really far. And the great thing about this, Elliot, is that these changes are free, right? You don't have to pay thousands of dollars to remove inflammation from your diet or from your life. So start there. I mean, you have, there's so many actionable steps that you can do that cost nothing. I couldn't agree more. Brianna, this has been an insightful, practical, and I feel very, very encouraging and optimistic episode. So I really appreciate the way that you've expressed everything that you've gone through today. And I have a couple of final questions for you. And the first is, what impact do you want to have on the world with the work that you do? With my work, my mission is really to positively impact people's wellness. So this is through education, encouragement, and to help people find out what works for their bodies so that they feel like they're in control of their own health, most importantly, their own life, so that they can live out their best quality of life. I can be that support system and encouragement and help them find the answers and access to the information that they need. Then I feel like I've I've done my work here. I absolutely love that. And where is the best place for people to find you if they want to get involved in your world, if they want to discover the world of genomic testing, please tell us where to find you. Yeah, I'm most accessible either on my Instagram or my website. So I do post a lot of videos explaining what I do on my Instagram. And so that's what best anything best... to do with your lineage. <laughs> right. No, I don't deal with any of that. That's something separate. Yeah. So come to me and please ask me questions about the process or if you think you're a good fit. You know, if you want to work together, we have a call to be sure that we are a good fit before we proceed because we want to be sure that you're going to get the best results out of this type of testing. So either on Instagram or even my website, you can check out a little bit more about my story there, how I got to where I am and the different type of tests that I offer if you're curious if it applies to you. Amazing. We'll make sure all of that is in the show notes below. But Brianna, thank you so much for your time today i really do appreciate it thanks ellie i appreciate you thanks for the talk today and that was the simply fit podcast 
I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.